Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to Uncovered with Barat Sundarason and Jared Kimber on the 99.94 Network. Welcome to another episode of Uncovered Podcast. I'm Jared Kimber. Uh, Barat Sundarason is, um, where is he? Uh, he is currently trying to get his Wi-Fi fixed, so he's out again. Uh, I don't know where you have him on the um, excuses bingo cards, but feel free uh, to contact him on all of his social media presences and just be like, when are you coming back on the podcast? Uh, but uh, I will probably be in Australia the next time we record this. So it might be a little bit easier for us to hook up then if we're in the same time zone as each other anyway. But there's a ton of stuff to uh, cover in this particular show anyway. So uh, not saying we don't need Barat, but we don't have Barat, so we're just going to have to handle it from that perspective. If you do have any comments and you're listening in, or if I should say any questions, feel free to ask them in the comment section below. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll be able to get to them at the end, but there is actually quite a bit I wanted to cover. I, I'd forgotten how much had gone on. And so, there's a couple of topics in this that I actually want to do as probably bigger videos altogether, but um, I'll talk about them now as well. So I can't read my writing. This is one of the um, the most interesting things I saw straight away was the fact that India had a, um, I think Abhishek Mukherjee, my friend, put up a tweet basically saying that all the people who said that bilaterals didn't matter suddenly got very upset when India lost. And this is one of the things I want to make into a bigger video and I'll, I'll try and work on something later today when it comes to that. But it's a really interesting topic of this because... Pakistan have done something really, really similar, and I'm going to try and bring it all together, but I'll stick with India just for a moment. Uh, India clearly were, uh, you know, working on some stuff in, in this uh, series against Australia. It doesn't really matter, this particular series. They know how to play in India. Australia is probably one of the teams, or at least the level of team that they're going to have to go up against, right, when they are playing in the, uh, you know, to win the tournament. So, what has happened a lot more is uh, of, of the last couple of years, as we've probably gone from having six and seven teams who can win tournaments down to, you know, three and four coming into each tournament over the last couple of years. I don't know if that's going to stay, but it seems to be a, a pattern we've seen for a little while now. Um, we're sort of South Africa as the sort of fringe outside candidate in all these sorts of things. So for India, what they really have to do is not work on beating, you know, Bangladesh and um, West Indies, 
you know, Sri Lanka, those sorts of teams, what they really have to work on is their game against the best team. So having a series at home before a World Cup, which is also at home against Australia, was a really good thing. It doesn't matter if they win, though. And, you know, I've talked about this a lot with it's really tough for Indian cricket to develop and grow and experiment because uh, so much of uh, the pressure that comes on them means that you instantly have to go and pivot to win all the time. We know India can win a lot of games. We know they win a vast majority of games uh, that they play. But we also know that they're losing when they're going up against the best teams at, at the most important moments. So from that perspective, I thought it was very, very interesting that suddenly people cared about this bilateral series because I don't think you should be looking at the results at all. I think you should be looking about you know where the players fit in, um, you know, who's going to help them, who's not going to help them, you know, who's going to come back, you know, there's potential for two, three players potentially coming back into the side who are very, you know, top quality players. But that wasn't how this was looked at. So it should have been looked at as uh, a few players actually having, um, you know, a good workout against a good team, having a look at a couple of other players, seeing where they fit in, uh, you know, what's the best matchup. Because if you have a look at what Australia did, it was very, very, experimental they went back to that sort of all all-rounders lineup and and we've seen this with australia as well australia don't really prepare for world cups as well as england new zealand india have been even south africa and australia usually kind of pull everything together at the last minute but the one thing that australia is really good at and has been i'm trying to think probably since 2015 they've been really good at just going okay well we're going to go over there with a lineup that can kind of do this or do this and we'll, we'll give it a go in the first couple of games. And if that doesn't work, we'll change and we'll go with something completely different. And that flexibility of World Cups is, it's probably, it's almost an accidental thing, but you can go back. The 1999 World Cup is certainly a World Cup where Australia went in with a very, very strict idea of what they were going to do. Um, that didn't work for them. And they completely changed everything and found a better lineup in the middle of that tournament. 2003, it was probably thrust upon them uh you know uh, with was it andrew simons was injured in the middle of the tournament no i'm uh, was it damien Har um damien martin was injured i'm trying to remember when the injuries came but again they had to use ian harvey throughout the majority you know that sort of that middle part of the tournament which completely changed their their 11 and the way that they they thought about things and i think uh you know that changed the way that they did they've been very good at that kind of switching on a dime, going from a batting team to a bowling team to an all-round team to whatever they need to be at any one stage. That's what Australia's done. That's what India hasn't been as good at, right? It was really interesting in that last World Cup. They they came in with one mindset. When they got to the tournament, they changed beforehand. There was no thought of ever going back to that original mindset that they had decided was better. So instead of playing the conditions, playing the opposition, playing the trends in the tournament, they literally went, okay, we have decided that this is going to win us the tournament. And we've seen, if you go back, as I've talked, you know, there's, I've done a seven part video series on this or six part video series on India and World Cups over the last, you know, since 2013, I suppose. Um, and you'll see this, this trend comes about of coming in, you know, with one mindset. So them losing this particular series and having it be without two or three very crucial players who may, you know, come back into that team, um, even more perhaps, depending on how they move things around, what happens in this IPL, what happens in any other games that they play beforehand, is actually a huge advantage to them. And that's not how it was seen by Indian fans. It was seen as them losing to Australia at home. But I really think, I, I was, the, one of the 
most interesting things I ever, that, that really shaped the way I thought about cricket, and I'm pretty sure that it was John Buchanan was talking about this, was that when Australia won the 2007 World Cup, it didn't look going into that tournament they were quite in the same form. I've, my memory serves correct. I can't remember. They might have beaten New Zealand, but maybe didn't play brilliantly in New Zealand, but they lost to England um, at home. And I think there was genuine like, oh, wait, what? What's going on here? And this wasn't a particularly, you know, great England team. It was well before they had um, any changes. And then they get to 2007 World Cup. The full-strength team sort of assembles a little bit more. Everyone knows their roles. Everyone's had a really good workout in all those other games. Um, and suddenly, Australia, it looks like the best team in the World Cup. Again, that is a much better way of doing these things. The trick, as I've said again and again, is the fact that when this has happened, there's then a lot of pressure on India to win every single individual game. And when you're doing that, it means you can't taper up and taper down. It means you can't get people, maybe reps in different positions you know, if, if you need them to. Uh, it's harder to develop your talent. It's harder to just try and experiment things. And it's a really, really interesting thing. And I wanted, the, one of the reasons I'm mentioning all of this is because Pakistan just did a really, really bizarre thing. So Pakistan, well, in fact, um, Mookie's just asked the question. Remember, if you do want to ask any questions in the comments, uh, you can. So Mookie's asked a really, really um, interesting question. So Pakistan has just lost to um, Afghanistan in a T20. Uh, was, uh, was it, They rolled for under 100, I think. Did they have like five or six players with very, very limited experience. It was clear that Pakistan went into that for whatever reason against Afghanistan. And they thought to themselves, well, okay, I'm not really sure how to frame this because my assumption, and I'm hoping I'm right, is that they're thinking about it. We made the last uh, semifinals of the World Cup um, in 2021. Probably should have made the finals had it not been for you know that incredible Stoinis-Wade partnership. We made the finals the next time. We know that our core more or less does what it needs to do and is good enough to consistently win in T20 internationals. And we know that there's a tournament at the end um, or whenever it is next year, right? That So they know all that coming in, but they're still willing against a team like Afghanistan to do, and we've seen India do this at times as well, completely throw in younger players and, and really see who pops and who doesn't pop. And in that particular case, they had an absolute shocker and they end up losing that game. That really angered Pakistan fans. But that's exactly what you want the team to be doing. You want them to be working out. Essentially, let's say let, let's say out of that 11, there's, I don't know, I, I'm trying to remember who played in that game, but let's say there's four players you're certain who are going to play in your, your 11 for that next World Cup. You might have two or three others that you think are a very good chance. What you want to see is if there's any players who are going to be difference makers in that next World Cup, and you want to find out about them as soon as possible. And perhaps the best way to bring a bunch of younger players in at the same time is going to be against a team like Ireland or Afghanistan, right? Um, or, you know, if the West Indies are struggling or whatever that may be. Just because what you don't really want is for, you know, a bunch of youngsters to go up against Mitchell Stark, right? You want them to come in slowly, develop, feel confident. And then when they're playing Mitchell Stark, they're absolutely buzzing at that point. So I, I thought it was really interesting. And so what, sort of watching the two fan bases handled these two things at the same time. I thought it was a really, really interesting one from that perspective. We we still, I think, the Indian slash Pakistani culture, I'm going to take Bangladesh out of this, and I don't think this applies to Sri Lanka. It might apply to Nepal as well. But certainly the India and, and, and Pakistan culture at the moment is, there does feel that you have to win every single game. That's not really the goal of cricket. <laughs> I know that sounds stupid, 
But it's so hard to win every single game in international cricket because if you put out your best 11 all the time, your best 11 will be tired or they will be broken by injuries. So you can't do that. So you really have to think about things in a very, very different way now. And, you know, one of the best ways to have a look at um, all these sorts of things is what are you preparing for? What are you looking for um, going ahead? What do you actually want to get out of this particular game? Now, that doesn't mean that the players and the coach on the field for that game are not trying to win. But what you're really trying to work out is who can do this? Who can actually play up a role? Right. So we know that this person can do this domestically, but can they do the exact same thing internationally? Or we know that they've done this internationally, but this is quite a... L- you know, low yield, unimportant position. What we actually want to know is if this this person can also do, you know, power play and death bowling or whatever that may be for each individual player. And in order to do that, you have to be experimental, right? We've seen England experiment with inside of test matches before, even before the whole baseball thing, you know, experimenting with their lineup to see what is going on because they have made a decision quite clearly. This is an important series. This is a not important series. This is a building block series. This is an experimental series. There's too much international cricket to just put your best 11 on the field and try and win every game. What you really want to be able to do now is know as much as possible going into the series that you have to win. That might be you know, a couple of very important World Test Championship series in the Test Match um, um, side of things that might be preparing, uh, you know, uh, making sure that your team is fully ticked off, you know, maybe a year out from a World Cup, you might play a very good one-day opposition and you decide, let's just put our best 11 out there. Let's see what the strengths and weaknesses are of them. Um, And if we feel comfortable, then we know for the next year, we can just work on making sure everyone's sticking over when we get to that tournament. It's a really different way of thinking about cricket um, that, that is coming up. And and the interesting thing is that it doesn't gel very well with Indian and Pakistani fans, particularly. It doesn't it doesn't gel with any hardcore fan base, right? So it could be the Philadelphia 76ers that we're talking about, you know, or sort of any fan base at all that's really, really full on. It's very hard to get them to buy into this sort of concept. But it is really more and more the way that sports works. And to go back to that Australia in 2007 World Cup uh, thing we were talking about, John Buchanan was the first time I've really ever heard anyone in cricket talk about this specifically and me as clear as John Buchanan was. But he was talking about it more like the Olympics. We want our athletes to be the absolute best at the time they need to be the absolute best, right? And that's a very different way than we have thought about cricket. And it's we're not at fault here, by the way, as fans, because uh, the one of the great things about international cricket was that every game was fairly important, right? It's not like, a, you know, a midweek football game or, uh, you know, a back-to-back game in baseball, you know, or all these other sorts of things where, you know, this is the one you care about and this is the one you don't care about. Generally in cricket, you know, even if you're playing Zimbabwe, you know, you don't want, you don't want your team to have an off game and lose to Zimbabwe. You don't want to be the fans that lost to Zimbabwe, right? But cricket is just so different and so dynamic now. And because you're having to deal with franchise leagues, you're having to deal with, you know, the rise of freelance players, you're having having to deal with the fact that players now have a lot more power than they've probably ever had in this game. You have to deal with these things very, very differently. And so from my perspective, I found this really, really interesting. Um, So, uh, yeah, so that was kind of what I thought about the um, India side of things and the Pakistan side of things as well. I just want to talk about Australia. From their perspective, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. They did throw a lot of shit at the wall, right? And some of it is stuck. I'm not. They know what their basic problem has been for a long time. They are hoping in the next five to ten years that Cameron Green um, overcomes all that problem and he can bowl 
What's, what's your best case scenario for Cameron Green? If you can get him the bowl, 70% of his allocated overs in each game of a one-day and a T20 game, that would give, because that Australia is always pretty good at finding one or two other players with that secondary skill. So, you know, Glenn Maxwell, Marcus Stoinis, um, I see someone mentioned Matt, Matt Short before. Um, Matt Short type players. Um, I'm missing someone obvious there too. Mitch Marsh, right? So if they can get someone like Cameron Green, who can be the banker, they can do that. They might might watching them in this particular series going up in the uh, you know in the World Cup, uh, going ahead to the World Cup. I was thinking they were thinking to themselves when he's not quite there yet right? He's just not that kind of bowler right at the moment. So what we're going to do is try some, uh, you know, funkier lineups. And it's a really interesting um, theory. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. So I suppose what I'm saying is India, Pakistan and Australia in different ways are, are all trying things. And that's what that this next, you know, six to 12 months should be. I don't think even England, I'm not sure that England is complete and watching them play against Bangladesh with some of their second tier players having a look at that sort of next generation coming through England's probably the only team that's fairly close to knowing what they want but still don't think England has great death bowling so we may, still might see some um uh, flexibility experimentation around that Moinelli looks kind of disinterested in bowling in one day cricket if you listen to some of his comments at the moment and maybe that was just that they've still got the Ben Stokes issue so there is no real team that is kind of set at this stage so you shouldn't be looking for wins what you should be looking for is is this team trying everything they can to be ready when the World Cup comes around uh, you know it's such a a weird uh, build up that we have to these tournaments now that's really I think what you can ask out of your team trying as much as possible um, it's v so different than you know the 2007 like I was talking about before or um, um, or, or anything else anyway let's have a short break uh, and after the break oh what have we got uh, we've got heaps actually we've got absolutely heaps <laughs> NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live. Because you shouldn't have to change teams, even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. All right. Uh, welcome back to Uncovered. Jared Kimber here. Barrett Sundarosan is uh, omitted again. Uh, there were some really good comments about this. So I've just I've just ticked a couple here just to bring them up. So Garvitt said, India's top order has to work against spin. Uh, their game against spin has gone down considerably. I don't think there's as much of a gap between India and everyone else in the world against spin as there has been in the past. But I get this comment a lot. When you actually look at the numbers, I think the Indian players are still fairly good against spin. I haven't seen anything that suggests that they're not. You know, we still see people like Adil Rashid struggle when he goes to um, India. So I understand the uh, – and take the test match out of it because those pitches are obviously a little bit different. But from a limited overs point of view, um, I still think that when you see spinners who are very good in general – Quite often when they go up against India, we don't see them pop just as much. So I, I'm not particularly worried about that. But, you know, it's going to be a World Cup that is, you know, determined by spin bowling and spin more than the, the last World Cup was. Um, 
uh, and that's a that's a fairly obvious thing. Um, so you would want to have a bigger advantage against it than maybe India does have at the moment. Doesn't help also that Sky made what three golden. I mean, what are the odds of someone actually making three golden ducks in a row? It's an it's got to be. I I haven't done the math, but. That's only because if I did the math, it would absolutely blow my mind. Do you remember when I did a KL Raul video about, you know, his his run of um, low scores and then you and you realize how improbable it is for him to have a run of and his other run of very high scores, which we found. Those things are incredibly impossible. I can't think of anyone. There was the Greg Chappell one where Greg Chappell made was it duck, duck, one, duck, 2012 duck or something stupid. That was over multi-formats. To be able to do three golden ducks in the same format, back-to-back-to-back uh, to back to back like that, I mean, all, you know, well done to Sky because that is an incredible statistical anomaly. That's <laughs> absolutely batshit. And he is a great player of spin, right? I would say, you know, if you had a – there's a couple of guys in the world that are really good against spin at the moment. I haven't done the numbers on it, but I'm assuming he's right up there as one of the best players in the world against spin. And so from that perspective, it's – um. It's kind of a big deal that he didn't get any runs. Uh, Fahim says, uh, cricket has changed a lot since the 2011 World Cup. Keeping in mind how batting has become easier over the years in ICC tournaments. What would be an average pass score in India later as per the stats? I don't think, although I say that, maybe we knew that it was going to be lower in that last World Cup in Australia and the UAE. I'm not sure that I have a great idea of what a pass score would be, but I would have thought that you'd be looking at something 280 to 320. Um I don't – a lot of this depends on what the ICC is trying to get out of um, these tournaments. And generally what happens is they try and make kind of flat and benign wickets in ICC events. And for some reason, they haven't really managed that very well um, over the last little while. So uh, I, I don't think we're going to I, – I personally am not expecting a massively high-scoring tournament. However – and that's also based on just what we saw with India Australia as well. However – my guess is that's what the ICC want. So I'm probably leaning much more towards, you know, 260 to 280, whereas I would have thought the ICC would have been more um, happy with 300 to 320. But it just doesn't seem that that doesn't seem to be the, that doesn't seem to be the case at the moment. Uh, Garbett says, I won't say India or Pakistan culture. It's what the fans demand. And BCCI um, and PCB don't have to be pressured by that. No, they don't. And that's very, very fair. I do think it is India and Pakistan cricket culture. And I'll tell you why, because I cover cricket all around the world, and there are certain cricket cultures that, you know, like the England media has an outsized role in what happens in English cricket, up until fairly recently, really, um, despite the fact that English fans aren't particularly. So there are different times when the media or the fans, so I would say in Australia is another one where the media is maybe more heavily involved. I would say in India and Pakistan, it's more fan-led. And then in other places, the cricket and the fans and the media just all go in three different directions and no one touches it. So it's a really... You know, as someone who covers all these different places, you certainly see how different strands touch each other um, in, in, in different... That sounded weird, didn't it? Probably more perverted than I meant it to be. But I, but but you're right. This is And what you're talking about, the, the fans um, demanding and the BCCI and the PCB not being um, pressurised by it, that's what the video series that I made on, um, on India was about. And that's probably what the next video will be as well. You actually... You, it's not that you have to ignore the fans... And I think I mentioned Philadelphia 76ers before. Those are the most rabid fans that, you know, uh, probably in the NBA. But that they also accepted um, the process, which was 
essentially their team deciding to be terrible for six or seven years to get as many number one draft picks or high draft picks as possible and then build the team back up. You can actually sell things better. And I would say that, you know, PCB and BCCI are not very good at that either. And, you know, and certainly not the only cricket board in the world that's not very good with that sort of stuff. But you really do have to get people on board a little bit more. um, And that doesn't seem to happen. Vel Prashar says, you have to lose a few battles in order to win the war. That's kind of what I'm saying. That You probably summed that up. I'm, I, we're 24 minutes into this podcast. I probably could have just said that. Uh, Jimesh says, should the 34-16 ball format come back into ODIs? No, because it was a terrible format. And I've said this again and again. It doesn't help anyone to have a soft ball towards the back end of an ODI. That's when you want people hitting fours and sixes. The... Two advantages it gives is that we end up with a lot more part-time spinners cheating a bunch of their overs uh, with low arm actions. I'm not that interested with that. I'd rather see top quality spinners trying to bowl in those middle overs rather than Darren Lehman. Um, I don't, poor Darren Lehman. He's probably sick and tired of me slagging him off. I'm sure there's another example of of that kind of bowling um, that I should bring up. But uh, and. Uh, and again, you know, we want the ball hard at the end. Uh, you know, the reverse swing is the only thing of that format that I particularly miss. Um, but you can, still can actually get the ball to reverse swing in white ball cricket in a one day. Um, but it, it's not particularly easy uh, from what I've been told from the teams uh, involved. But th- th- at 34 overs, that ball is a dog toy. The white ball barely lasts 25 overs. Um, and then throwing out another old ball for the end that's already a little bit soft. It's just... We're just better than that as a sport. We don't need to be that. I mean, I would argue that the 25 and 25 system and the 34 and 16 system are both terrible in different ways and that we should be trying to do something that improves the ball and make sure that it lasts 50 overs. But, you know, it doesn't look like that's about to happen. I also wonder now, even if you improve the white ball, people hit it so much harder and bowlers are so much quicker than they've ever been before, whether that matters. Like whether you can actually catch up with the fact that, you know, the balls have gone on. But with the extra hitting um, and the faster bowling, I think that's an even more of a reason that going back to 34 and 16 would be absolutely dire because I think those balls, if they were bad in, when was the last time we used that system? You know, if they were bad back then, you know, 10 years ago, what on earth would those balls be like now? I just think it's an absolute non-starter for me. I just want to continue to talk about the Bangladesh um, party, I suppose, the Bangla party, uh, incredible form that they're in. We know that Ireland is, you know, I think I was asked on this, probably on this show a couple of weeks ago, how Ireland might go in Bangladesh. I think they've gone pretty much exactly as we've seen. But what we are seeing is that that dynamism from Bangladesh, it's not just winning, because we've seen them win with the sort of grit and grind style over and over again. And there's still a bit of grit and grind in the way that they play. But they're now definitely getting a lot more dynamic. Um, Really interesting next, what, what month are we in? March? Five to six months to see how they go. And also... It's, it's more about the next, what, two to three years, I suppose, um, and how things develop from then, that de- develop for them from here. Because right at the moment, it would be hard to say that Bangladesh isn't one of the more interesting stories in cricket. Like, they are playing in a way that gets your attention. They are using players that are not particularly well-known. Their senior players are standing up in the positions that they have. We're talking about players like Lytton Das and, you know, Najwal Shanto, who... That's a drinking game if you're at home, uh, if I mention Shanto. Um, I, you know, we're talking about players who didn't particularly have, who had terrible records for a long time and have just flowered. It's hard not to be a little bit excited by that team. Uh, and the, actually, no, I'll come back after the break and we'll talk WPL and a little bit 
on Johnson Charles because I just don't think there's ever a, a, you know enough time to talk about the great man Johnson Charles. Welcome back, Uncovered. Jared Kimper here. Uh, let us uh, continue. Uh, Fahim just said something about Bangladesh, which I thought was really interesting. Remember, you can put comments in if you're following along on YouTube and you do a super chat like Rake has. Um, oh, Rake Jake, in fact. I'll get to Rake Jake in a moment. But this one just follows on from the Bangladesh chat. I thought it was quite interesting. He said, I think there is a revolution going on in Bangladesh in terms of change of mindset in all departments and, and that they are the diva in cricket. Gives them the opportunity to try this out without scrutiny. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mohammed Issam said something to me recently. We were chatting about, I'm trying to think of the exact topic, but it was something along the lines of, I think it was crowd numbers in Bangladesh. And we're talking about a particular game that I was commentating on. And, and, and Issam was sort of saying, you know, he was going through all the reasons why there wasn't crowd at this game. You know, it was midweek. It was in the daytime. Um, it was a ground that was out of town. But he also said something to me that I thought was really interesting. He said, I'm not sure that Bangladeshi people quite get uh, as obsessed with cricket at the moment as they were, you know, even a couple of years ago. And for those who don't know, you know, in some ways, Bangladesh has been the most obsessed cricket culture um, over the last little while. You know, it's, I, I think in terms of uh, how much content they create, talk about uh, how, mu how much of a part it has in society. It really became a huge, huge thing in Bangladesh, um, especially as they got mildly good. But this fan base has changed to go back to the Indian and Pakistan. Well, Indian and Pakistan fan bases have changed while I've covered them, right? Uh, Australia has changed at times as well and will change again. You see fan bases change. And, and so what Islam was saying is that there isn't the absolute all-in pressure, uh, perhaps, on Bangladesh that there had been before, partly because the, the fans have taken a bit of a step back and are just watching it and enjoying it rather than, you know, living and dying by it. And so this particular question is very, very interesting. The other thing is that I think my big worry was when, when they did well in New Zealand that they would go back to their original thing of, so for those who don't know the history of Bangladesh cricket, they came in with a very sort of experienced, but you know, plodding kind of team. And then they didn't get the results they wanted. And they literally stripped away everyone who was senior from that team and went all in with kids. And look, if you go to comment sections of any sport in the world, that's literally what everyone says to do, right? The problem with that is it's very hard to learn how to be a senior professional. If there's no senior professionals around, like, unless you happen to have 12, 15, 18 kids, uh, you know, under the age of 24 who already know what it's like to be a professional, who uh, have incredible, incredible working habits and, you know, understand what they need to do to be prepared for each game and all these sorts of things. It's really hard for them to develop those skills on their own. That's why teams have senior vets around, even, even on younger teams, just so they can see that's how hard you're supposed to work. This is why you're supposed to go to bed early on this particular night. This is why you don't hang around with this crew. All these little things. Then you've got, in cricket, you've then got, you know, think about all the collected knowledge that all these Bangladeshi cricketers had about traveling to this country, what to do when you're in this country, what, how you have to adapt your, your grip. Uh, when it comes to, you know, the ball or the way that you bat when you're in England, all these sorts of little things. All these players had to learn this on their own, having never done any of this before. Uh, my big fear that was that Bangladesh was going to do something like that. What they've actually done, I think, is, you know, a couple of their older players have been regenerated, as we were talking about before. You know, someone like Lytton Das and Taskan Ahmed are probably two prime examples of that. 
Shakib Hassan is back, and I kind of thought by this stage he would only be a T20 player, and I thought that they might even move him onwards. Um, I thought he showed some good leadership in some of that series against England. Tamim has obviously decided what formats he wants to play, and he's probably picked the right ones. Um, but then you've got, you know, the Ridoy, um type players coming through. Um, you know, Mahedi Hassan developing uh, into, you know, a, an extra bow in his game and everything else. I don't know whether the the um, the l lack of them being a diva um, allows you to to do more stuff. But what they have managed to do is match younger players coming through with older players still being there. And they've had a couple of players who've made a development jump. You know, they've had what three Litton Das, um, or four if you want to include Chanto as well. But he might in be included in one of the younger players. But Mahdi Hassan, Litton Das. Um, and Tuscan Ahmed have all had developmental leaps. There's, there's no way of looking at them now and not thinking they're not different players. So it would have been very easy perhaps to, you know, ship out a bunch of the older players perhaps, or, you know, or even those middling players over the last couple of years. I mean, Shanto's record was certainly something that you could have moved on from. So it just feels like the whole thing is more mature. And that's what Bangladesh cricket is, right? It has matured. It came in with a very good club cricket system, but not a very good first-class cricket system, they've had to grow over the years and develop and change. And, yeah, I, I, I think it, for him, I think it's really, really interesting what you're saying, uh, but thank you for that. Now, Rake has come up with Super Chat, and, like, like I'm, I'm happy with all the Super Chat. If you just want to put a Super Chat of your name, I'm more than happy for that. This is a good Super Chat. He says, I liked your Jadeja video, but it got me thinking, statistically speaking, what kind of numbers would a bowler need to equal the feat of Bradman? I really, really like this because this is something I think about so often. And when you look at a great bowler, basically, it's almost like there's a glass ceiling in bowling where having a bowling average of under 20 is almost impossible, right? So we talked about this recently, uh, um, Ray Jake, when we were talking about Sid Barnes, when we were comparing him to Bradman, I think. So Sid Barnes does have the, you know, the bowling average under 20. But when you do break it down, he has a bowling average over 20 against Australia, uh, who were a very good team at that time. And then a bowling average of under 10 against South Africa, who were obviously, you know, struggling, although they were starting to get better. But they were certainly, you know, a lot weaker than Australia and England were at that point. And we also, we didn't get to see Sid Barnes probably bowl as much as we would have liked over a long period of time. I mean, he was certainly talked about as the greatest bowler of his era. So I think we have absolutely no doubt there. But his bowling average is 16. And I think for I think until people started taking 200, 300 wickets. In fact, I, I'm trying to remember if Wisden did something maybe in the 1960s or 1970s, and they still had him ranked as the number one bowler of all time. And then I think on the back of that, we got Hadley, Lily, um, obviously, or you know, a bunch of West Indians, trying to think and then and then you know then you have worn um merely come come about after that was a macram obviously you know the first great left armor so we keep dropping in great players after that but there was a period for a long time that Sid Barnes had that I would think if you could average around 15 you'd be talking about that as Bradman numbers um but there's I also feel like there must be a reason that that hasn't happened <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, of course. Uh, but I think it's a fantastically interesting question uh, from that perspective. And I really like the I really like the thinking on it. But yeah, I if you're looking at it statistically, the greatest players of all time uh with the bat, we we would say 
and I'm just talking as a broad brushstrokes here, but if you average 50 in test cricket, you're probably thought of as a great, at least in your country and possibly around the world. If you average 55, you probably almost automatically, you know, um, an, an all world great. And if you're averaging above that, you know, then we're looking at one of the better players of all time. So Bradman averages 40% better than anyone else. So if you go 40% at the, uh, for a bowler and you're saying a great bowler in their country averages 25, right? Um, a, you know, a, 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 a sort of more world, worldly great averages, you know, 22 to 23, and then a, a great, um, you know, greatest of all times are those guys around the average of 20. Um, so I'm trying to think, is that Malcolm Marshall, um, off the top of my head, uh, Curtly Ambrose, Glenn McGrath, Joel Garner. I think those are the guys, um, uh, I'd have to go back and have a look at the full list, but you know, those sort of guys in that upper echelon. And then, of course, with spin, it's slightly different. I can't, I can't even factor spin into this because spinners generally have a slightly higher average, so it is a different way that you need to look at them. Plus, they go on to take a lot bigger wicket takers. You know, you know, Lance Gibbs, um, then Murali and Warren, Kumble as well. You know, so there's a whole different realm of that. But if you look at it from that perspective, um, then then I think you're, you're probably looking at an average certainly below 20 and you'd have to say that it would have to be significantly less than 20 to be someone who statistically um, looks uh, has the same kind of record as Bradman. And Barnes is the only person who did that. And he, he certainly played in an early era, but he didn't play in the era that, say, George Lohman did. So George Lohman obviously has the lowest uh, test bowling average of all time. And people thought Lohman was fantastic, don't get me wrong. But he did play in a, in an era when uh, before liquid manure was on the pitches, so there was certainly a big advantage to that um, from from that perspective. You know, he was literally bowling at chunks on the wicket, so it's very hard to compare his average um, compared to anyone else's. Whereas Sid Barnes actually starts to bowl in the era when the pitches are getting better and and players are working it out. And as I said, even South Africa. So George Lohman also terrorised South Africa, but that was a really bad South African side. Sid Barnes is taking wickets against a South African team that had beaten, you know, England at that point. So, uh, not a full strength England, but still, you know, they weren't as bad as the Lohman um, uh, things. But yeah, it's really, really tricky from that perspective, um, Rake. It's a great, great question and something I really enjoy um, trying to work out, but I'm not sure I have a great answer to that. Uh, all right, I will. Take one last break and then we'll come back. I'll pick up anything in the comments that we need to finish up. And we'll go, oh, I've never even got to WPL. Did I? I really want to talk about that. And Johnson Charles. So I'll do that after the, this break. All right. Welcome back to Uncovered. Hasha says, and I forgot about this with Bangladesh. This is a really, really important one, actually. He says, the return of Rooney Talikdar redefined their approach. Because I, I think that's a really interesting one. So for those of you who don't know, he's a really middling player. He played a little bit of international cricket earlier in his career. I think any other point in Bangladesh cricket, international cricket, they probably wouldn't have given him a go. But he played really well in the IPL last year. They knew that he had... I, th I think they know he's not going to be a champion or anything, but they're wondering if he has the specific skills that they need, you know, for the next maybe one-day World Cup, but certainly the next T20 World Cup. You know, someone who just doesn't give a shit really and will have a bit of a tee off at the top. They have other players around him, um, you know, that that have different kinds of skills. So from that perspective, getting a player who's, what, over 30 to come back who hasn't got a good record in that um, and for a specific role, again, goes back to what I was saying. It's really, really interesting. I'm not sure when it's coming out, but me and Isam have done a podcast and we do go through a lot of these things. But as I said, Bangladesh has become 
Yeah, I should I should do a power rankings on international teams on like which team is interesting um, or not at any one stage. But I would say that right at the moment, the white ball Bangladeshi two teams in both the different things are really, really interesting coming through. All right, let me get on with the WPL. So I watched the final. I think um, Shikha Pandey and Radha Yadav um, really tried to make it interesting with some hitting at the end, but it was a bit of a damp squib, I suppose. Uh, it felt like to me the uh, the winners were going to get home a long way out. But the, the thing I liked about this tournament, and I don't know how many, you know, how many people who followed this channel followed it as well. The thing I really liked about this tournament overall was the fact that it just felt like another T20 tournament. And that, is kind of what it has to be. It can't be a novelty. It can't be anything else. There's always, there's going to be a crowd of devoted women's cricket fans. And there has been all throughout the history of cricket. It's probably bigger than it's ever been now, but they've always been there. They will watch it because it's women's cricket. What you really want though, is for this tournament to be at a point where you're watching it because cricket's on the TV and it's good quality cricket. And I watch some of it. I, I, you know, I just watched it like it was a normal, you know, T20s, you know, kept some notes. So I didn't get a chance to do any videos on it just because I had to prepare for, um, uh, for I'm going away while the start of the IPL is on, which is not ideal. So I've got a bunch of stuff to do beforehand um, and, you know, some other projects as well. But I watched lots of it and really enjoyed it. And um, I can't wait to, I've got some of the games, I think, uh, recorded as well. So I can't wait to go back and have another look at that um, again. But yeah, I just thought from that point of view, once something becomes just another T20, I know that sounds like a negative, but it's not because it means it's part of the furniture and it then has to develop. It's not, you don't really want it to be the novelty item. You want it to be just another thing that people can find that can be marketed and can find new fans. And uh, it was absolutely great. Also, I loved, you know, Shika smashing a few at the end. Um, I've done a podcast with her on this channel before. Um, she's uh, a great person. In fact, I have a signed shirt of hers just behind, which I still haven't got framed because... Um, I just realized I haven't got a friend, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, I look, I enjoyed heaps of the tournament. I, I loved, uh, I loved, you know, that there was something else, uh, available to watch, you know, cause we honestly can't have enough cricket. Probably not true. Is it? We probably already have too much, uh, cricket. Uh, but yeah, from that point of view and Harman Pre, I'll actually, I was going to include Harman Pre in this, but I think I'll do a proper little thing on Harman Pre because, it's interesting that she's had the biggest impact in the WPL when actually also on top of that, she's probably more or less the reason that people thought it would work in the first place. And I'll explain that more in the video, but, um, but yeah, I love that. And I just want to shout out to Johnson Charles. I, I've been fascinated by Johnson Charles for such a long time. He's a really interesting player in that he kind of has two scoring areas quite often. He's really good square of the wicket. But then he basically gets to a point where he just sort of starts hitting everything over what mid on and and mid wicket, um, and it's a really really basic game, which I'm which I think means more often than not that he doesn't get the consistent results that that he should have. But every couple of years, Johnson Charles just gives us a Johnson Charles game, and it lives up to his name. It's a great name, let's be honest. But he's a fantastic hitter of the ball, and and I do wonder if. He had played more Red Bull cricket, you know, one day cricket, all these sorts of other things, whether he would have developed a little bit more. Because when I watch him bat like this, I'm like, there is something absolutely magnificent about the way he hits the ball. And we just, it seems to go, you know, long periods of time where he can't do that. And then suddenly out of nowhere, Johnson Charles. So I, you know, 
I think we have to celebrate every single Johnson Charles moment we get. And I try to personally, uh, but yeah, we, we have some great stuff. Uh, me and Cheyenne have been working on. We just got put the Ravi Jadeja video up about whether Ravi Jadeja is the best, uh, well, uh, the most valuable test player in Asia ever. It's really, really fascinating. Um, it, we, it's something that we came up with that we would never have um, expected going in. We we were just looking at, you know, within the last five years, he'd been the best player in the world. And then quite quickly, when we started to get into it, we realized that like the actual numbers he put up in Asia were very similar to Imran Khan. And, you know, that's not a name anyone, well, so, certainly not a name I'll ever use lightly on here. So we had a deep um, look at that, but we've got some other things as well. One, one other thing we want to do is, and we're in the middle of this at the moment, is literally going through all the IPL seasons to have a look at, you know, different players when they had MVP caliber seasons. Um, so we're not necessarily looking for the player who was the best player in each year. We might be looking at three or four different uh, things. We're looking at maybe some of the more interesting ones that might've got missed over the time, but also, you know, Yusuf Patan didn't win the player of the tournament in 2008. And you look at what he did statistically now, and you wonder if we just think differently about T20 cricket, whereas he might've, won it uh, there and so you know we want we, i wanted i wanted to have something where i could say you know i don't know kale rolls had four mvp worthy seasons and uh, uh you know aaron finches had two mvp worthy seasons or no mvp worthy seasons whatever that may be unless if Malinga has three uh, just because i think it's one thing that's sort of missing a little bit from the dialogue we tend to look at plays overall records which are great I and mean, it's, it's really really cool and i think that's certainly something worth having a look at but it's really you know with a player like sun on their own you know, you've got probably three or four MVP worthy seasons. Then you've got another bunch of high performing seasons. And so when we eventually want to go back and start to look at who are the best players of all time, you don't just want to have a look at the cumulative stats. You know, he averaged 35 in, in T20 with a strike rate of 155. You really want to have a look at, you know, what impact they had, um, on a season by season basis, um, and how those things went. So, uh, that's something that we're working on at the moment. As I said, I probably could do something on Harman Preet um, and perhaps something from the start of this show, uh, although now I feel like I've said too much on it. But thank you to everyone uh, for coming on again. Uh, I will probably have to record Wagon Wheel on Wednesday, so it's usually done on Thursdays, but I'll have to do it on Wednesday uh, uh, this week. So if you want to stick around for Wagon Wheel on Wednesday, uh, or if you want to ask any questions for Wagon Wheel on Wednesday, get them, uh, line yourself up or get on Patreon and you can do them or just uh, send a super chat through while we're on air. But thanks to everyone for the support. Like, subscribe, press the bell icon, tell your friends, share, share, share. We've got another new sponsor lined up at the moment and that's all because um, you guys keep watching and sharing and telling everyone about it. And uh, we are... We're going to be covering the IPL at this stage, probably doing, you know, three to five videos a week, some deep dives, as I said, in the MVP thing's huge. <laughs> um, so that's going to be stretched out of, out of a few. We'll do our power rankings as well. But we've also got um, I, I, one of the first videos that will be up probably around the start of the IPL is on scoops in in t20 cricket which i think you find really really fascinating so we'll get all that to you as soon as possible but thank you very much for listening for watching for subscribing for sharing for all the things that you do see you next time this show has an ad-free version via patreon and there are many other extras available there as well there is a link to the show notes the show is hosted by me jared kimber 
Barrett Sindarisen is my co-host. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great production team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orajoti, Senapayi, and Maida Akam producing podcasts. And Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube account. Podcast Network.